Welcome to the Backcountry Cardio Podcast. I'm your host, Brad. This podcast is all about the outdoors, fitness, and most importantly, living the best life you can, both physically and mentally. I love finding people who strive to be their best at anything they are taking on, such as running, weightlifting, cycling, hunting, you name it. I want to hear their story, and hopefully it gives us all a chance to take something away from it and apply it to ourselves. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Backcountry Cardio Podcast. I'm your host, Brad, and today we have my buddy Cody Worley on here with us. Uh, Cody is just an awesome guy. He's a, uh avid bow hunter, loves bow hunting like diehard, uh, really into marathon running. He's got a marathon coming up in June, uh, the Steamboat Marathon. He lives here in Colorado, as do I. Uh, so we're going to get some info from him on, uh, you know, hunting, running, and a little bit of life. How are you doing, Cody? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is actually round two, so we should be great at this. <laughs> right. Yep. Second time's a charm. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, tell everybody a little about yourself and how you got into bow hunting. Uh, Cody did kill a really nice bull last year. Uh, it was his first one with a bow, and uh, he wrote a story for my website, backcountrycardio.com, if you're interested in it. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so why don't you why don't you give us a rundown on on your archery career yeah well it's a short one um i just got into bow hunting in in 2020 um kind of leading up to that i've always grew up grown up hunting um my dad was the main one that got me into it so grew up rifle hunting then muzzleloader and in 2018 i hunted a muzzleloader season i hunted every day of the season and did not get a chance to fill that tag. So I was like, I need to be able to hunt more. So that was kind of the leading up into archery hunting um, and started looking at used bows, picked up my first bow before COVID hit and, you know, started getting it set up. And then as COVID hit and, you know, we got slower and slower with work, I was kind of really able to apply myself and I think kind of um break some of that learning curve with just a lot of practice and and you know self-research and uh i i'd grown up like with my dad archery hunting the last oh 10 15 years so he was a traditional archer and i had a longbow that i had shot but this was my first compound and pretty much that was it you know fell fell in love with archery as a as an entire sport and I often think that, man, even if I didn't ever get to go hunting again, I would be just happy shooting my bow and and playing with archery stuff. It's it's definitely for me, it's like two different loves. You know, I have backcountry hunting and then I have archery. So getting to do both together is, you know, obviously my favorite, but I just I love both of those things um, equally separately. Yeah, I mean, archery hunting is such a. a sport where you can, you can have a guy a camaraderie with it easily and enjoy yourself. Right. Uh, have you, have you ever been to like a attack competition or anything? I haven't. I'm, I'm looking to do tack this summer. Um, for me, it's just the challenge, you know, it's, it, I was really humbled my first year bow hunting. Cause I, I, I was going into it thinking, you know, I have a really good area. I have put all this work into getting everything dialed and, man, when the rubber met the road, it was, it was an undertaking. I, 
you know, when I first had my first shot opportunity, I, I misjudged the range and the bull moved while I was at full draw. And it was just like, there's so much that happens in that short window. It was like, this is so much harder than I anticipated. And, uh, once that happened, it was kind of like a new reinvigorated, like I'm gonna have to work even harder at this. And so, now, well, now on that first hunt, I would assume that was 2020, right? That was, yep. That was 2020. Now, were you, were you backcountry by yourself? I mean, how many days and stuff were you in there, you know, as this accumulated to realizing that this is a lot harder than you thought? Um, I hunted 11 days solo. Um, that particular year I broke it up. So I did a five day trip, a four day, and then a three day trip. And the only shot opportunity I had where I was within range was on the last morning of my last day, which was the last day of the season, actually. So I had been into animals, but just getting into that, you know, sub 100 yards was already a challenge. And so when I was able to do that the last morning, right. it was like, you know, I was just thinking, oh, it's a done deal, you know, but yeah, 11 days um, back in the back country, a um, couple miles back in, and I would kind of, uh, hybrid bivy hunt slash spike camp. Um, you know, just everything on my back for those days and go out to the truck to, to re refuel food and everything, but that was it. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough, that last hundred yards, like you said, I don't know how many bulls that I've had, uh, over the years where you can see them. I've had them, I've, you know, had them looking at me and maybe, having another caller behind me would have would have sealed the deal but most of the time right. i've called i've called in bull solo and it's like once they kind of are looking for that elk in my experience unless you're really good and you have a lot of tricks in your bag i've always gotten busted like it seems like they just come into that range you know and they they don't smell the elk they don't see the elk and they get out of there so you know, I would imagine that a lot of these hunters that kill bulls year after year, A, they're out there a ton of time, you know, like the whole season for archery. And they also have a lot of encounters. Uh, not always, you know, some guys kill bulls right off the bat, just there it is, it came right in. But yep. I would imagine if you ask most of the guys like Dan Stanton, uh, Dirk Dunham, those guys, Corey Jacobson, they would probably tell you like, okay, maybe for every five bulls that I actually call in, only one actually commits to being able to get, you know, a shot opportunity or within bow range. And maybe you don't get a shot opportunity, but it's, it was within range. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to do. Well, I think that's why my dad always used to say there was like the three P's of hunting patience, persistence, and, uh, positivity. You know, mm -hmm. so if you're, if you have multiple shot opportunities and you're too hard on yourself, which, you know, I encountered that this year or 2021 where I missed a bull. Um, and if you can't shake the dirt off and get your head back in the game, you know, your, your hunt is really going to suffer. And that, that is really, you know, one of the things that I think can make a guy successful or not is, you know, can you kind of recuperate and and get back in the saddle after something like that because you're right you're going to have multiple opportunities and it may be you know 
5% of the time that it's going to work out. So it may take <laughs> all those times for, for you to figure it out and, and for it to thing for things to fall into place, you know? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, most, it, most units are probably hover around like five to 8% success for archery or under, uh, I know the unit I hunt, the success rate's only like 4%. And I don't, I've never looked to see if it's actually private land is not included in that but success with the bow is really really low and is overall unless you probably draw a trophy unit uh you know that takes seven eight nine years so you hear the stories all the time when you're talking to other hunters you know oh man i got into this bull we we're bugling back and forth and it's such an awesome experience but typically most of the time it ends with but he didn't come in you know yeah. he hung up the wind turned so you know, staying positive with anything, not just hunting. Uh, if you want to be successful at it, ultimately is where you, what you have to do. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So I guess, I guess, you know, you, you had this frustration the first year now take us into your success here. Yeah. So my plan for 2021 was instead of like breaking those trips up, I was going to go straight for like 10 days um, not necessarily 10 days in the back country, but, you know, take four or five days of food, come out, restock and then go back in. But I didn't want to drive all the way home. You know, I live in Denver, so it would be a couple hour drive for me to go back and recuperate. So I spent a lot of time driving back and forth a year prior. So the, the name of the game in 2021 was just stick with it until those 10 days are, are done. And, um, it took me until the morning of the 10th day, <laughs> um, to, to seal the deal and, I had started, you know, off by hunting with my dad, um, you know, towards the beginning of the season and, and he went back into town. He's a firefighter. So he, he had to go back on shift and just the, the ups and downs of the roller coasters, you know, of, of, of being a solo hunter. Um, I love it. I, I don't, I don't really know if I could hunt with anybody else, you know, besides just being solo or with my dad, um, because you just, I don't know. It's, there's a certain appeal to it and you get to make the decisions and, um, but it's, it's hard too to, to stay back there and keep your, your head in the game. So, um, yeah, I don't know if, I mean, if people want to hear the story, the best thing to do is to read it on your website for sure, just cause it is a long one, but it, right. for me, it was just such a, a compounding, you know, factor of, of two years of, of hard work and, you know, kind of like, Dan State always talks about that that delayed gratification that when when it happened and I you know was able to locate the bull after he expired he was about 200 yards away from where I shot it was such a rush of emotion and something that I probably have never experienced in life and will never experience to that same extent because it wasn't only my first you know uh, six by six bull. It was my first kill with a bow, my first kill, you know, um, solo backcountry hunting. Um, so there's, there was just so many firsts and it was just like, you know, that's why I called that, that story, the impossible story, because you hear guys talk about all the time, well, you'll never kill a bull, you know, as your first archery kill, you know, you're probably better off trying to kill, you know, a, a bear or, you know, pig down in texas or something get get reps but i was i was pretty determined that i wanted to give it my all um 
you know, just cause I love elk hunting so much and it was kind of, kind of do or die for me, you know? So it was like, it didn't matter to me if it took 10 years or one year, it took two, <laughs> but that was, uh, that was important to me was to see it through with a bow. So that was, you know, one of my biggest accomplishments, I guess. <laughs> now, when you're out, when you're out, when you were out chasing these elk, um, solo, like, what are you doing? Are you, are you trying to spot stock? Are you bugling every five minutes? Are you cow calling cold? Are you, I mean, what are you, what are you doing? Take us through that. It, every trick in the book, man. Um, I'm not a huge caller. I am more of a spot and stock hunter. So I would throw out, throw out some locate bugles, but when it really came to moving in on a herd, I would kind of keep quiet just cause I wasn't too confident in my calling abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, so the morning that I located that bull, um, they were really high in elevation and I heard him bugle as I was climbing to go to an area that I thought might be a good area. I had no prior knowledge that he would be there the night before, um, which I've done that before, you know, located bugle, um, at night as you're walking back to camp and you kind of have a game plan. I was just moving up in elevation, kind of thinking, I'm going to go check out these avalanche shoots. It's as good a spot as any. Um, and I was just getting to the point where I was thinking like, man, if I don't hear anything, I'm going to turn around change, change a plan and go, you know, maybe back to other areas I had been into elk. So I heard him first, you know, kept, kept covering ground and he was a ways away. They were about eight, 800 to a thousand yards when I heard him, but he was very high. So like that noise carried very well. And I actually didn't even see him, you know, I saw some smaller bulls, but it was like, you know, anything was, was game time at, after 10 days of being in the back country. So, um, and then once I located the herd and moved in, I let out a couple cow calls, you know, just to kind of locate mm -hmm. and, uh, just, just getting into their bubble. You know, a lot of guys talk about that. You just, a lot of times with elk hunting, you're just trying to get close and just waiting for something to happen. And mm -hmm. things go from, you know, zero to hero back to zero so fast when you're in that bubble and a lot of times you know the bubble pops and you think like that's it you know that's my missed opportunity they bust and and you know you just have to kind of that happened so many times this year you know i don't even think i wrote about every time i busted elk in in my story but for for sure this year i was you know into elk more than i ever have been um just elk hunting in general so I must've been doing something right by just being out there was kind of my main thing. You know, I was just like, I'm just going to be out here, be in the woods, be moving around and willing to cover a lot of ground. And I right. think that's what you and I have in common. Um, we are very highly based off of like having the endurance to cover a lot of ground, you know, both with glass and with our feet. Um, right. So that was big. That's awesome. So, so you climbed up there, you got, you got into their bubble. Now did this thing just, you cow called a couple of times and he, he walked out or what, what, what happened then? Yeah. So I cow called and he bugled. I didn't know it was him. You know, I knew there was bulls up there and I got to the edge of this meadow. There was a 40 yard gap between me and another patch of trees and pretty quickly, once I got to the edge of that meadow, I saw movement and I could see a cow and a calf. Um, they were kind of milling around and, you know, I was so close in their bubble. I'm like, they're going to see me. You know, the calf is kind of moving quickly, you know, playing. And I was like, oh, she saw me because she kind of takes off. And then to my right, 
I just see more movement, but I pick up movement of antlers, you know, coming through this, uh, this, this channel in the trees. And as soon as I see the antlers and he's only 10 yards back, um, you know, from coming into the opening, I, I go ahead and I draw, but it's just like, it's so clear in my mind. Like he just had this, this swagger, like walk, you know, just like slowly rocking back to side to side. And he comes to the edge of the tree line and he's facing me, you know, perfectly front on and I'm at full draw. And I knew it was about 40 yards, you know, from, for me to him. Cause it was just, you know, tree line to tree line. And he's just looking like straight through me and he's got his head down, you know, kind of where they put their head, like lower to their body. And he's just like looking right through me and very relaxed. And I remember feeling my heartbeat and I, you know, it felt like it was going, you know, a mile a minute. And I just remember regaining my composure and telling myself, like, I'm not going to let, you know, myself, I'm not going to psych myself out. I'm going to control my heartbeat and just wait, what happens, wait and see what happens. And he, he, he's looking at me and he goes and he turns slightly to his left and he offers me just a, a quartering two shot and that arrow breaks or that shot breaks. And I watch it. I watched that arrow bury, you know, straight up to the flexings. I shot a lighted knock and he turns the opposite direction and runs straight down the hill. And, uh, you know, just that sound of, you know, that, that arrow hitting, hitting him. And it was just, man, everything is so, you know, vivid. And so he turns and breaks and the whole herd breaks. And I hear a bugle, um, which I, I, know, I don't think it was him bugling. I'm sure it was another bull, you know, trying to, but it was just like so much commotion, you know, it's all calm and tranquil. And all of a sudden, you know, everything just explodes and uh, he breaks off down the hill. And I just, again, kind of regain my composure and, and come up with a plan, you know, okay, that wasn't the, the best shot. It, it looked, I was aiming for in front of his shoulder um, and it, it ended up being just slightly behind and ended up going through, you know, hitting back lungs, but going all the way through to his, uh, his femoral and the opposing leg. Um, just really good arrow build. <laughs> well, it's, funny, it's funny you say that because um, I shot uh, the the biggest bull I shot. Uh, he was he was quartering two. He actually, I mean, he was close. He was, I mean, it was close enough that I didn't need to range him. Yeah. Um, he was he was walking, and I had ranged some stuff around him, so I knew that everything was within like twenty five yards. So it was close enough. It's like 20 yard pins going on wherever and it's going to hit. Um, and he was quartering to walking kind of, kind of down the hill and he was going to pass us. And my wife was behind me actually. And I cow called and I remember just, just, you know, like you said, it's so vivid. I can, I can picture it just letting, letting the arrow fly and I watch it sink in and he, he, I mean, you know, explosion, he takes off. But then I started questioning myself. Okay, he was quartering two. Did I, the arrow, the angle, you know, was it farther back than I thought? And it, you know, was, was it a gut shot? Like, yeah, I started yeah. questioning what happened. Uh, and then we, we started, you know, following the blood after, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was. And, you know, we come up on him within know, a couple hundred yards. And when I get him opened up, I, I mean, I just did um, uh, the gutless method, but when I'm, I'm yeah, taking the back strap, yeah, I, I find the arrow and it, it went all the way 
from right behind his shoulder somewhere clear to his back leg and stopped at the back hip. And it's like, uh, yep. you know, so, I mean, when you have, you know, I can't remember what that setup was, but 28, 29 inches of arrow, you know, inside of you just going through everything. It, it got, he was done in seconds. Yeah. Not a shot I would recommend, <laughs> well, yeah, right. Um, you know, cause obviously we all hope for that, that broadside shot, but, um, I, I really think that's where the, the preseason and the planning, you know, I put a lot of planning into my arrow build and like what I'm trying to accomplish. So I knew well before I drew the bow back, even by the arrow I had in my quiver that I would be ready to take a, a frontal or a quartering too. I'm sh I was shooting 540 grains, um, single bevel broadhead, 125 grain with a impact collar, you know, just built for durability, uh, high poundage bow. And so, cause I shoot, um, the RMS gears, uh, broadheads, they got the cutthroat. Mm -hmm. So a two blade and a three blade, I had yep. three blades in my quiver. And like, that is what I would have pulled out if I had that perfect broadside shot, you know, and could kind of make that decision. But I said, anything coming, you know, frontal or, or into me, if I wasn't sure I was going to go for those single bevels. Um, just because of the the penetration factor and I mean that that arrow went all the way through all of the muscle of his back leg and was literally just it was the hide that stopped it because that's how I found it I found a blood spot on the hide as I was skinning out that back corner I'm like what in the world is this you know right and uh found that broadhead you know re receded into the muscle a little bit because it had broke at the fletch because I found the fletch like 20 20 yards you know from where i shot him and then mm -hmm. it broke right at the back of my insert which was uh you know about a two inch post from ethics archery so yeah I, I definitely um trying to advocate like you're gonna get out of your season what you put into it beforehand um and devil's in the details for sure when it comes to bow hunting like everything has to be you have to be confident in your setup for sure right now now, how long was your pack out? Um, it was about two and a half miles uh, straight downhill to the truck. Um, but I can't say it was a you know arduous pack out because I had made prior arrangements with a buddy of mine who's got um, horses and llamas. So because it was the morning, um, he was able to come up with his horses and, and help pack my bowl out. And so him and my dad are both firefighters and they were both coming off of shift that morning. So, um, as, as I was going back into the back country after, you know, a couple of days of being in there and I came out to grab lunch, I was texting back and forth with, uh, with Jared, my buddy. And he's like, you know, kind of hinting like, Hey, if you're going to kill a bull, you know, this would be the time to do it because I'll be coming off shift. So, well, um, we joke about that because <laughs> he told me to do it. So I did it. Right. So I guess my question would be, since you didn't, didn't have to pack the bull out, if what is one thing you would recommend to new hunters, you know, beginning hunters that are going to take on the challenge of something like you did being in the backcountry for that long, uh, as far as gear goes, um, or safety equipment, something, obviously we all want the, the best of everything, but sometimes it's not possible the first year to say, okay, I'm going to buy, you know, $12,000 in gear. So what would you kind of recommend like your biggest, biggest starred products? You're like, Hey, without this, 
you know, my time back here wouldn't have been as enjoyable or as, as comfortable. Um, yeah, the first thing I would say is you have to find that balance between buying good gear, but then also leaving yourself time to test it. Um, so if you blow all your money on gear and you don't leave yourself any vacation time or, or time to go out and do some scouting trips, then the best gear in the world isn't really going to be good if you haven't tested it. Um, but I think the top three for me would be, um, my boots have really good boots. I'm, I'm a stiff boot guy. I like the crispies. I'm this year. I really like the crispy brick stalls, mm -hmm. um, a good pack and get familiar with carrying weight in that pack. Um, you know, whether it be in training or, you know, like I said, just going, doing some scouting trips, you know, a couple of day backpacking trips, get, get familiar with like what 40 to 50 pounds feels like, but then even, you know, if you can, like, if you, if you can get your pack to ride pretty comfortable, pretty comfortably with 55 pounds of gear, it's really going to be no different if you load it up, you know, 80, 90 pounds with meat. Um, but you, you do really have to put the time into getting it to fit you just right because you can have the best pack in the world, but if it doesn't fit you right, then you're still going to be miserable. Right. Um, and then as far as like camp gear goes, I just, like I've used a jet boil for years. I just try and keep my gear in, in working operation. Um, your food in the back country is really important, you know, try and eat good food and same thing on scouting trips, like take that food, you know, if you're doing freeze dried or whatever. Um, and then I'm a really big optics guy too. Like I love looking through my binoculars. So, um, I, I definitely recommend like get the best binoculars or optics that you can you can justify and afford like save your money because if you can it's not just about finding animals like you're just gonna see really cool stuff from a long ways away and for me that's that's as much of the trip of like actually getting to see the animals i'm going after or chasing is just getting to see you know uh the the things that we go into the backcountry to see you know animals eating when nobody's watching or or whatever so those are kind of my three top things that are always really important for me right and i would say on the on the boots um you know there's a big push these days for uh crispies kenetrex lawas you know all those big name brands have really uh began be, become very popular over the last four or five years but my one recommendation like you said uh you know you must you, you've got to take that equipment out and test it now with boots a lot of people buy a pair of hunting boots, especially people that don't hunt a lot. You know, they spend that money on a pair of boots. They wear them out like to the archery range a couple <laughs> times and things like yeah. that, right? Well, well, my story is this. I did that one time with a $600 pair of Kuyu Rebel K GTX or whatever the heck they are, okay? I thought in my mind, these things feel awesome. There is no way a $600 boot's ever going to hurt my feet. I've never personally had a boot that caused blisters or gave me a problem. And, but that was my first like high end pair of boots. And I thought they were, uh, I think now they're way overpriced. And I'll tell you why, because once I actually started wearing them hunting, like I had worn them, but never an extended period of time. Once I started hunting, uh, a few years ago with these boots on like probably five or six hours into the day they were so tight on the front of my feet 
like they were cutting off circulation. I, I, I yeah. couldn't feel my toes. Like I had to stop every like hour or two and take my feet out of my boots or oh, I had to man. leave extremely loose, like um, yeah. you know, not even tied basically. And like the size was fine. Like it wasn't, it was like they were just too narrow, but wearing them for yeah. a short, short amount of time, I just didn't notice that. So yeah. you saying test your gear, that is a hundred percent accurate. Don't buy stuff and just assume because, you know, it's a $800 Kafaru setup backpack that it's going to be perfect because maybe you don't have it fitted to you because you've always just, you know, put it on at home, tighten it up. And now you've got a hundred pounds of elk meat in and it's like, this backpack's not comfortable, you know, because yeah. like you said, I, it doesn't matter what you have. If it doesn't work for you, it's not going to be comfortable. And if you didn't take the time to get it right, you, you know, you're going to think that it's the product's fault. And most of the time it's probably not. Yeah. I, yeah, you can put it any better than that. I mean, it's, um, there was a whole podcast that Aaron Snyder did about, you know, he, he gets really irritated when people say oh well that's the best well that's a broad term because what's the best for you is probably not the best for me and it's kind of everybody's responsibility to to find that out um you do have to do your research and there there's there's cheap you know you got your uh medium you know price range your good better and best right most of the time the best is going to be you know, your high end quality stuff is going to be really good. Like I, I did buy a pair of Kenetrex two, three years ago, mm -hmm. put them on the store. I was kind of like, I don't know, they feel stiff, which they are, but it, they were $400. So I'll buy them. They should be pretty good. You know, probably one of the most comfortable boots that I've ever had out of the box. And I never had blisters or anything. So it's like, if you're, if you're, if you have the budget and you're trying to decide on the $200 pair of boots or the $400 I would get the $400 and, you know, you still, it's up to you to test them. And if they don't work out, then man, that's a tough pill to swallow, but you do, you have to be persistent. You have to be able to try other stuff. And like, I was texting you earlier this week, like the used market on hunting gear and all that stuff, it's there. You know, if you do, if you put the work in and you're diligent, like you're not going to get what you put into it. But if you paid $300 for a pair of boots and you get 200, you know, okay, you're out a hundred bucks, but that's a lot better than being out in the back country with a miserable pair of boots that you can't walk a mile in, you know? Right. I mean, if, if I, I still have those Kuyus. I'm actually going to try and sell them uh, now that yep. we talked about this. I've been meaning to, uh, you know, they just didn't work for me, but, but the best pair of boots I ever had were a pair of a solo, uh, which is a fairly popular brand. I think they're made in Italy or Europe somewhere. And yeah. You know, you can, you can buy them a lot of places, but I picked these up at um, Sierra Trading Post and they were like 170 bucks. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, and Sierra Trading Post always says, oh, well, they're normally like 375, whatever. But right. that was without a doubt the best pair of boots I've ever had. And you're never, you know, if you brought up names like that around like a lot of the hunting community and, it does, and it's not Kenetrek, Lala, Crispy, you know, guys are like, well, you don't wear those. But, but those are solos for me. They were the most comfortable boot I've ever had. Never leaked anything. And I, I ended up getting them melted on a fire. It was the only reason I had to get rid of them. And <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't make them anymore. But, but, like, but like that, you know, I've had other boots. I've spent big money on boots. And, but those ones for me, I would buy them every chance I could get from here on out if they still made them. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and you do have to be able to if it if it's not broke don't fix it like i definitely right. dance with that as well sometimes i i do think like oh, i'm changing too much and you know but i don't know man that's like i told you before i'm a gear guy you know i, I love playing with gear and um seeing trying different stuff i'm right now i'm looking at a msr reactor stove right next to my you know old and trusty jet boil and they're both good stoves they're both gonna work but i don't know i like the it's, it's part of the fun for me yeah i have i have i mean i've went through tons of stoves i mean i don't do it with um really expensive stuff but like stoves things like that i would say my price budget for like constantly buying a new thing is probably like around that 150 dollars range where and i mean yeah. that in this i mean that in the sense of like Okay, if I bought a Kafaru pack this year, I'm not going to buy another pack next year. I'm just, I'm going to, you know, unless it was something out of the ordinary that just did not work. Um, yeah. But like, but like with stoves and headlamps and things like that, oh, I've bought like more than I can even, even count. But I have a, I have a um, MSR wind burner. Uh, and mm -hmm. dude, that thing is awesome. I actually, I have the 1.8 liter uh, can, which is massive, but mm. I love it because I can cook at night. I can boil like 16 or 18 ounces, 20 ounces of water. I can have an extra 16 ounces of water for uh, a decaf coffee at night when I'm sitting in my tent, you know, and it's just, I love having this giant amount of water I can do all at once where with the jet boils and stuff, I haven't looked into them recently, but typically they think they max at like 20 ounces, I thought. Yeah, I mean, and there's always that fill line <laughs> that they tell mm -hmm. you not to go past. I don't know. I've burned myself with boiling water in a stove, so I don't recommend doing more than that fill line recommends. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the, but the wind burner, the the one point eight liter, I think it it's its fill line is like forty ounces or thirty six ounces Jeez. or something like that. It's massive, yeah. but it's, should, I mean, it's called still, the fuel burner. Dude, it still boils it quick, man. I've never run out of That's fuel. Good um so anyways you said you're talking about the reactor and uh i i recommend maybe checking into that one too they're uh they're really good and they're similar design the way they work uh, but but anyways you know before we get too crazy here so cody you're running the steamboat marathon june 7th yeah somewhere in there whatever that saturday is is the the is race day i think it's like yeah five six or seven but beginning of june okay so yeah. so right right now how many miles a week are you running preparing for this uh you know what what are some workouts you've been doing for the listeners and uh, kind of be specific maybe on some of the workouts because you know my my thing is running obviously and that's how people are finding me backcountry cardio and i believe in training more than just running like there's a lot of guys in the industry hunting industry that just run uh you know like cameron haynes he's not doing workouts he's just running just running uh, yeah right where i think it's much more important to actually train like an athlete uh so so give us a rundown on you know what you're doing what kind of training you're doing and maybe a couple workouts that stand out in your mind that you've done yeah so um the training that i'm doing i just found a plan online you know that uh fit fit my fancy based off of like what i wanted my marathon pace to be and currently um the week that I'm on calls for 45 miles total. So I've kind of been around, you know, that probably 35 to 45 mile mark um, pretty consistently in the weeks leading up. It seems like the volume is increasing, you know, week by week, 
last mm-hmm. week was a faster week, so it was um, less miles overall. Um, and kind of had to reevaluate, you know, my training strategy. I was trying to hit a certain pace and a certain amount of volume. And with it being the first year I've ever trained for a marathon, had to have a little bit of a, a come to Jesus, you know, talk with myself that I was probably just overreaching a little bit. Um, so this week has been a little bit of a back off week for me. Um, but last week I did that first track workout, which was pretty fun. I'd never done a track workout before. So that was a one mile warm up, and then 12 rounds of 200 meters at my fast minute per mile pace and then 200 meter cooldown. So it ended up being about five miles total with your one mile warm up and your one mile cooldown. And then those speed workouts are interesting to me because you're, you're pushing hard for that short period of time, which is foreign to me because I just, I come from a bodybuilding, bodybuilder, weightlifting background. So I'm, I'm used to those short bursts, but it's, uh, it's a different type of exertion. It's a different type of, you know, uh, pain that you're feeling. And that's been, um, you know, not my favorite as you and I joke about that. I'm not, I'm not a speed guy, but there is something about pushing yourself for that short period of time. Um, but there's, there's a fine line too, where, um, I can push myself for sure a little too hard and then leave, not much in the tank for the rest of the week. So that's been a balancing act as well. You know, I have to, I have to push, but I also have to remember that it's uh it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Right. So um, right. if I, if I blow myself out on my speed workout, which is my first workout of the week, then, you know, my next workout is an easy run. And then typically the next day is like a medium pace, you know? So like yesterday was another speed workout today was eight mile easy run now tomorrow is nine miles at marathon pace so that's going to be like a happy medium of it's going to be faster but it's also going to be long and then weekends are always like a three or a four mile easy day on saturday and then a long run on sunday which the longest one i've done so far is a 20 mile um, run which that's the longest i've ever ran so for you know training last year and the year before I was running a lot through the summer, it was like just that Cam Haynes, just go out and run. You know, I kind of knew in the back of my mind doing a marathon would be cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this year it was just, it was really good for me to, to just commit to it because it's giving me something to train for. Um, and maybe, you know, back off on some of the other stuff, you know, like this year I'm going to be hunting a unit that I have hunted in quite a bit, you know, growing up. So I don't have to put as much time into scouting and trying to find new area. I can focus on, you know, this marathon and, and just for me, it's as much about the personal development as it is training for the hunt. And a lot of guys, you know, I think we see that all a lot on social media. You have like two ends of the spectrum guys that uh, don't train to hunt, but they still go hunt and they kill bulls or right. whatever they're hunting for. And you guys have guys that are working really hard. And I think that's a lot of what, you and I can relate to is the guys that are working really hard, I think statistically are going to be more successful um, or more consistently successful, I guess I would say. So, well, yeah. And, and Does that answer the question? It did. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And I think that 
uh, one thing people have to remember is, you know, when you're when you're training like you are for the marathon, you, you're legitimately training for it, and you're doing hard workouts. I guarantee you, right now, you're in much better shape than you were last year. Uh, you know, with these workouts. But but one thing that I like to push, or at least let people know, is I train like I do uh, because I love running. I always have. I love backcountry hunting and I don't get to do a lot of it right now uh, mm -hmm. just because my, my family life with kids, I have two little kids, uh, two and four years old. They're, they're not one's in school. One's not, uh, you know, I just don't have the time to take weeks off and go hunting. So for a few years here, I don't get to do much of it, but I look at running as a way to keep myself grounded and focused on something and it it's for marathons and hunting so statistically like you said hunters are probably going to be more successful if you train harder and you're in better physical shape but it also i think for that group of people it's not just about hunting like for you it's like okay yes i'm putting this towards hunting but that keeps my life focused like i'm not mm -hmm. gonna do i'm not gonna do stupid stuff right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna just wake up on the saturday morning and tell my wife like hey let's just go out and golf all day and get drunk. Like mm -hmm. you, you know, you have, it, it's like, okay, I have this purpose. I'm, I'm training for this marathon, which, you know, makes me physically better. And then, you know, I can, I can put it towards something else hunting and all while doing this, I've got to keep my life together because, you know, I can't, I can't run and I can't hunt if I'm doing stuff outside that's affecting that. So I think it's a good way to to keep people in a positive mindset and going down a good path is my take on it versus just having to do it for hunting. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And that you get so much out of it from you you are developing discipline, consistency, routine, all of those things you're going to need if you want to be a successful hunter. You know, you're going to have, you're going to need the discipline to stay in the back country. You're going to need the routine of getting up early before the bugles start, you know, to get to the area that you want to be in. Um, you're going to need to be consistent in your shooting and, and just so many other things. And, you know, one thing you and I talked about in the other podcast is, you know, you're, you're going to have guys coming to the West from all different states. And you and I are really fortunate to live in the state that we hunt so we can go hike those mountains and hunt, you know, get that strength built up. Right. But if, if you live in Indiana where it's flat, you know, you don't, you don't have, maybe you can only go running or ride your bike to develop that cardio, but sometimes more than just the cardio, it's just the suffering, you know, you have to feel what that's like to really push yourself. And if you're not familiar with that, I think that's the downfall of a lot of people is everything looks fun and everything looks, you know, uh, like rainbows and butterflies on social media, but there's a lot of grit and, and suffering and pain. And, you know, to, that's what is so, um, the feeling of accomplishment is so powerful once you've went through that, when you're successful. And I think that's what the allure to a lot of guys of is about, you know, archery hunting in the West. Right. And, you know, you said, uh, you had to, uh, have kind of like a, uh, coming to Jesus with, with your running because you were trying to bite off more than you could chew mm -hmm. and you know that doesn't happen very often to me but just so people listening to this know even even at my level of running and exercise uh, which i'm not i'm not elite but 
I, I could be there if I had a little bit more time in my day. Uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm probably, you know, I think my ultimate time will be just a few minutes off, maybe the Olympic trials marathon pace uh, to give kind of people a perspective, but I still bite off more than I can chew on occasion. And, you know, you just, when that happens, you have to step back and go, okay, I am doing more, you know, I'm not, I'm not, phys I'm not this physically capable maybe yet, or, uh, you know, at, at this today, because every day is different. Our lives get busy. We get tired. Uh, I did a bike workout the other day. Uh, I, I throw in cycling workouts once a week. I just think they're amazing for building up a lot of uh, strength in your legs and giving your legs a rest from impact on the road. Yeah. And, you know, I, I plugged in this workout and my bike machine has a resistance thing that if it says 400 watts, it will not let you pedal unless you put out over 400 watts. Uh, you, <laughs> cease, you cease to move. So it's like a do or die type of uh, training, which I love. Uh, but I thought, okay, I'm going to do this workout on here. And, and I've got this because I used to be able to do it when I cycled a lot. And I made it through two rounds out of the 12. And it was like, okay, I am yeah. done. I'm already toast. <laughs> so, yeah. so, but I, but I stepped back and I said, you know what, let's just, let's just tone it down. Let's just do something else today. And I just enjoyed the day on a nice bike ride. Uh, you know, so, so yeah, sometimes you do bite off more than you chew, but just take a step back and, and it's not the end all, right? Like if, yeah. if you're doing too much, just, just take a deep breath and say, okay, maybe I need to redirect, uh, but don't give up. You know, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think it's important to, to have goals. You know, that's kind of like in a roundabout way what we've been talking about. Like for me, this marathon is a goal, but I think it's really important to have goals that are just a little bit scary to you, you know, mm -hmm. maybe. And that's kind of like what I had to decide with this marathon. Like when I started the training, I was like, okay, this is kind of where I am. This should be my pace, but I think I'm going to push a little bit more you know, to do it at, at, at this time, because that, that kind of scares me. And if you're not afraid of the goals that you're setting, then I think you're kind of selling yourself short on your potential. Um, and you, like I said, that's where that, that fine line comes in of like, you have to do the work. And once you get doing it, you know, kind of evaluate and articulate a plan of attack, but you can't do that until you're, you're like, I didn't, wasn't able to do that until I was like, eight weeks into this training plan and the volume I'm like, man, I can barely get through the workout I'm doing right now. And this is the first one of the week. So it was like, okay, I'm going to have to reevaluate. I'm, I still want to accomplish this marathon. And at the end of the day, you know, my biggest goal is to leave everything I have out on, you know, on the track or on the road, you know, race day. So that's, you know, going to be, you know, the end goal, but <laughs> That's, that's the whole thing about why, you know, I think it's important to, to scare yourself a little bit when it comes to goal setting. Right. And I think, you know, you texted me the other day and, and you kind of bringing up some injuries you're having, but one, one important thing for people to remember that have never ran before, uh, and are going to consistently do it. And you may be able to relate a little bit more because you've actually started training, uh, which is another, you know, level of, um, uh, intensity but you will feel good typically the first like week, right? You're like, man, mm -hmm. I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. But with running, it's like all that impact on your legs really starts to show up maybe two and three weeks down the road. 
-hmm. and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's like, man, my knee's really hurting. Uh, you know, I'm getting shin splints now because I couldn't tell you how many people I have talked to or messaged me that, hey, I'm buying these new shoes. I'm going to start running. And then you talk to them four weeks later and they're like, oh, my knee's killing me. You know, my shin splints are just so bad. Uh, and it's, it's important to understand that when it comes to running that impact on the ground, you need to start slow. Like even mm -hmm. if it's starting out at two days a week, do that for a month, you know, three days a week, the next month, four days a week, the next month, like whatever you're trying to do, maybe you'll never want to run four days a week. But yeah. if you, if you start off right off the bat, like the first week, I'm going to run four days, you're probably going to feel good. And you're thinking, oh, this is great. I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit. But a few weeks down the road is typically when those injuries start to show themselves. So really take it um, slowly if it's if this is something that's new to you. Yeah, that's that's one of the best things about running is the barrier for entry into running is very low. All you have to be able to do is move your feet, right? Right. Um, but you can take it to whatever levels you want. I mean, you're... I mean, I see the times that you post, I'm like, geez, I mean, yeah, this guy's built for running for sure. Right. Um, but you can't, you know, comparison is a thief of joy. So it's like, you have to take that with a grain of salt and be like, all right, that's, that's where he's at. But I think, uh, you know, it's like, as long as you're willing to work hard and, um, you know, just push yourself. But if you're pushing yourself to, you know, like we're talking about just overtraining, which it, it is a thing, you know, don't, don't let Cam tell you differently. <laughs> right. He's at a different level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, overtraining is, is definitely a thing, but I will tell you my one pet peeve and for anybody listening, I, I do not ever want to hear if you tag me in something with running saying it's not very fast, but like, I don't care how fast you run. Right. It, yeah. It's like you're, you're instantly putting yourself down. Well, don't do that. Like, yeah. you know, you don't need to, you don't need to justify why you run a 10 minute mile. Maybe you're not a runner and maybe, maybe you're overweight right now in your life. I mean, there's a lot of aspects that are going to slow you down, but don't, don't degrade your effort. You just put into it by saying it's not very fast, but oh, I drives mm -hmm. me nuts when I hear that. I'm just like, to me, in my mind, I'm happy that you ran if it's a 15 minute mile or a six minute mile or a five minute mile, it's all the same. Everybody hurts the same, just at different speeds. My five minute yeah. mile hurts like your eight minute mile, you know, or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It's just different. So, so don't, don't degrade yourself by saying it's not very fast, but, or man, I'm really slow, but I did it. You know, well, don't just, Hey, you did it. That's all that matters. Right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So, yeah, you know, I, I think um, you are going to kill it in your marathon. I think you're going to have an awesome time doing it for your first one. Uh, Steamboat is amazing. I'm sure you've been there a hundred times. Do you know where the course is at? Um, I know it starts, I think, north of town and it starts, um, you know, at a higher elevation and, and goes down. So I, I'm not... Uh, 200 like i haven't been to where the course is uh like on the road that brings you into town it's not on you know like the highway running east and west which is always what we drive through okay, so whatever, yeah. yeah yeah i know i think it's like twin twin lakes that it starts at and then 
you know, you end up in town. So I don't know, it starts 26.2 miles up, up some road and you end in steamboat. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, we wish you nothing but the best Cody. I think it's going to be fantastic. Uh, you know, once, once that race gets done, definitely, you know, I'll know, but you know, tag me. I want to, I want to post it. I want to share it. Um, Cody, what's your Instagram handle? So people know how to find you. Um, it is, oh, I better, I think it's, let me just double check. Cody underscore in the woods is my Instagram. So my last name is Worley. It, it means in the woods. So I don't know. I thought it fit. <laughs> Try awesome. to be clever, right? Awesome. Yeah. So I'll also put that in, in, in the, the notes at the end. Uh, so everybody can find him. Uh, Cody, I really appreciate having you on here. I thought this was an awesome conversation. Uh, I think you brought a lot of insight to people that, you know, don't normally train like you do. Like we've said, uh, a lot of people just run to run, uh, but you've taken it to the next level and you're actually doing these, these training sessions uh, in running, which I think if more people did that would open up a whole new level of fitness uh, for people in the hunting community. Uh, so I applaud you for that, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you. It's, uh, it's been a journey. Appreciate all your, your help thus far. And I think it was, you know, it was a, a pretty neat coincidence because when you first reached out to me over social media, you know, asking if you could share the story of, you know, my, my 2021 hunt, um, I think I hadn't signed up for the marathon. I don't know. I didn't, it's, you didn't know that. So it's like, it's cool that, uh, you're, you know, and I didn't sign up the marathon <laughs> because of the, you know, uh your your page or anything it was just it was cool that uh those two things you know have gone hand in hand and uh it's you know appreciate all your help so far because you have been a big help in answering a lot of questions and uh yeah i think that's what you know the whole if you're gonna try and find a positive from social media because there are so many negatives it's that everybody for the most part seems to be pretty willing to help each other um or at least the people that you want to be following or be followed by are people that are, are willing to help each other. So, you know, if, if I can ever do anything else to help happy to, and appreciate all that you've done to help me. So. Awesome. Yeah, well, everybody, you heard it, Cody. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming on. I had a great conversation with you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Backcountry Cardio Podcast. I'm your host, Brad. Today's episode was with Cody Worley. His Instagram is Cody in the Woods. Cody is an awesome, knowledgeable guy when it comes to anything in the mountains. So definitely look him up. And like usual, you can find me either on backcountrycardio.com, which is my website, or at Instagram at Backcountry Cardio. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.